When I became a Christian in 1993, I was so excited about my new relationship with Jesus and how much Jesus was changing me that I was like, I need to share this good news with everybody. That's what's typically called evangelism, sharing your faith with other people. Here's what I discovered, though. I wasn't very good at it. I didn't know how to do it. And so I took a class. It was a 16-week class on how do you go about sharing your faith. So we had to study a lot of things. We had homework. There was a lot of memorization to do. We would go in each week for a one-hour lecture. And then immediately following the lecture, you would go out with your trainer for what was called on-the-job training. You would take the things that you were learning. And you would go out many times in a complete stranger's homes to share your faith. Now, as I start saying that, how many of you go, that sounds absolutely terrifying. I would hate, yeah, most of the hands are going up here. Those of you online, I'm sure you're doing the same thing. Yeah, most people are like, I wouldn't want to do something like that. Now, the truth of the matter was, I was actually pretty good at it. And so the church that I was attending, they sent me down to Florida, and I got trained to be a certified trainer in that particular course. And when I became a pastor then in the year 2000, I decided that one of the goals was I wanted every single adult in the church to take the class. And we actually did pretty good at getting almost every single adult to take it. But here's the thing. Everybody hated it. Because, you know, just again, the thought of going to somebody's house that I don't know and sharing my faith. I mean, just even the thought of sharing your faith without it being a stranger is scary for most people. But then with it being a stranger, most people are like, oh, man, we can't do this. And it really presented this dilemma. And maybe some of you are facing the same type of dilemma. You're going, I would like to share my faith with other people, but oh, it just gives me anxiety even just thinking about it. I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how to be a part of something like that. And then you start to wonder, does that make me a bad Christian? Does that mean I don't really love Jesus? Does that mean that secretly I really want people to go to hell? I mean, oh my goodness, I'm such a, a bad person. But I want to give you a little bit of relief today. Today we're beginning a brand new series called Surprise the World. It's actually based off of a, a book by the same name, a guy by the name of Michael Frost wrote it, Surprise the World. And what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to talk about how do we as followers of Jesus, even if that thought of sharing our faith is scary for us. How do we go about doing that in a way that actually is somewhat natural for us? Does that sound good? Is that something you'd like to know? How do I go about sharing my faith in a way that doesn't cause me a lot of anxiety? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, wow, okay, you guys are actually in it. Okay, uh, <laughs> a little surprised there by that. Uh, those of you online, you can type in, I'm ready as well. And we do want to welcome those of you that are watching online. If everybody here today and those of you who are watching online, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to hang out. Uh, actually, uh, Colossians chapter 4 and then 1 Peter chapter 3. Those of you that are watching online, there's a little button right now appearing in the upper right-hand corner of your screen called Talk Notes. If you'll push that, that's going to take you to the digital bulletin that we have and all the notes I'm going to be talking about, all the scriptures to fill in the blanks. For those of you that are here in the room with us, if you go to our website, exponential.church, you're able to get the notes there as well, all the scriptures, all the points, everything that we're going to be discussing. Now, as you continue to turn there to uh, Colossians chapter uh, 4 and 1 Peter chapter 3, let me give you just a little excerpt from the book. Michael Frost writes this. He says, when gifted evangelists tell the rest of us that we should behave like gifted evangelists, it has a debilitating effect. We look at confident, articulate, theologically trained evangelists preaching in our churches and hear their stories of sharing the gospel on the back of a napkin in a restaurant or on a plane 
And then we hear them tell us that we too can and indeed should do what they do, and we freeze. We know we can't do what they do. You ever felt like that? You look at like somebody like myself that is a gifted evangelist, and you go, I could never do what Gilbert does. It, it just, it would be impossible. And it causes you, as he says in the book here, it causes you to freeze. You're like, I want to do it, but I just, I'm stuck. I, I don't know what to do here. Well, good news for you. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, who were both gifted evangelists themselves, write about a twofold approach that allows all of us to be a part of this evangelism process. And basically, it boils down to this. Every single one of us, whether you're here or you're watching online, every single one of us, if we're called a follower of Jesus, we fit into one of two different categories. I put it on your notes this way. As a follower of Jesus, I'm either a what? I'm either a gifted evangelist or I am a what? Come on, help me out. Evangelistic believer. Let's say it again. As a follower of Jesus, I'm either a gifted evangelist or I'm a evangelistic believer. Gifted evangelist is exactly what it sounds like. It's somebody that God has given the spiritual gift of evangelism. I have the spiritual gift of evangelism. It makes sharing my faith very, very simple for me. I'm able to clearly articulate the gospel to people. Many people respond to the gospel when I share it. Here's the problem, though. Remember, all of us are called to reach the world for Jesus. But when studies are done, only about 2% of Christians have the actual spiritual gift of evangelism. And as you've heard me joke before, half of them are crazy, right? You've run into some evangelists before, and even though you're a Christian, you're uncomfortable around some of these people. They're the people on the street corner, they got their John 3.16 shirt on, they got their Turner Burn sign, and they're yelling at everybody about, you're going to hell. That actually hurts the cause of Jesus more times than it helps the cause of Jesus. And so you got 1% of us that are actually trying to do it the right way. You got 1% that are crazy, and then 98% are frozen. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. This is scary. It causes me anxiety. But yeah, we need to reach the whole world. And so, yes, there are some people that are gifted evangelists. But both Paul and Peter seem to say, you know what? There is something you can do as an evangelistic believer, as somebody that, um, you know, doesn't feel comfortable sharing your faith, but yet you're going to be able to do it anyway. Now, instead of me explaining what an evangelistic believer is, let me actually just read what Paul has to say here. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, we read this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and thankful heart. Be sure to pray that God will make a way for us to spread his message and explain the mystery about Christ, even though I am in jail for doing this. Please pray that what? What does he say? Please pray that, please pray that I, he says, please pray that I will make the message as clear as possible. So Paul says to the, the church here, he says, look, there's two things you can be doing. As an evangelistic believer, two things you can be doing. Pray, number one, that gifted evangelists have opportunities to share their faith. And then pray when they get those opportunities that they're able to speak and share the gospel in a very clear way. 
Paul was a gifted evangelist. And I had you emphasize as I read through the scripture, he says, pray that I, pray that I will make it as clear as possible. He doesn't say, let's pray that we share the gospel as clear as possible. He says, pray that I share it as clear as possible. He's making this differentiation here that some people are gifted evangelistically. And they're going to go out and share as they're given opportunities and they're to do it clearly. He says, I'm one of those people. Your job in the process is pray for me. Pray that those opportunities come and pray when those opportunities come that I can speak it clearly. Now, many of you are going, whoo, good. That's all I got to do is pray, right? Well, yes, you got to pray, but there's actually more to it than just that. Paul continues on in verses five and six. He says, your role as an evangelist believer, he says, when you, an evangelist believer, when you are with unbelievers, always make good use of the time. Let your words be kind and interesting and be ready to give answers to anyone who asks questions. So what's your role? What's he say? You are to do what? Make good use of your time. What else? Be kind and answer their questions. You're going, oh, man. I thought we were just getting away with praying. We got to be able to answer the questions that people have. I don't know how to answer all these questions. I mean, that actually makes me nervous thinking about, I've got to be the one that answers questions. Well, listen, you do need to be able to answer some of the basic questions about your faith. But the best thing you can say many times is, I don't know, but let me research and return. I'll get back with you. But really what Paul's talking about here isn't, you know, answering these deeply theological types of questions. You need to know the basics of how to defend your faith and, and how to share your faith. What he's saying about questions here is, I'm going to say this sort of in a funny way, but you need to be living a questionable lifestyle. You're going, what in the world do you mean by that? You know, living a questionable lifestyle. Well, you need to be living in such a way that other people, unbelievers, they look at you and they go, there's something different about you. How you're handling this health scare in your life right now, you have such peace in your life. How are you doing that? Or the, the people at your work, they're going, you know, when I go on vacation, I'm going to like the, the Caribbean and I'm going to like resorts and stuff. Remind me again, why are you taking your vacation time to go to a third world country? Explain that to me. Or why isn't it that you tell the same types of jokes that we tell here at work? Or why aren't you using the same type of language that we're using? Remind me again, why are you taking in refugees in your home? Why are you fostering kids in your home? Could, could you explain that to me? In other words, unbelievers are seeing that there's something different about you and how you're living. Your whole lifestyle is different, and it makes them question you. You're living a questionable lifestyle. And when you live a questionable lifestyle, what it does is it makes the evangelistic efforts that people like me that are spiritually uh, gifted to do it, it makes it so much easier. Because you've already softened up their hearts. They're already open that, oh, there's something different about Christians. And so then when somebody like myself is able to come along and say, well, here, here's what it is. Here's what we believe. Makes it easier. So again, your part is to, to pray. Pray for opportunities for people like myself 
And by the way, some of you may have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Again, only 2% have it, so it's probably only a handful of us. Not even a handful. You know, church our size. Just a couple of us. So your job, pray for opportunities. Pray for clarity. And then be ready to answer people's questions. The uh, Apostle Peter, he, he agrees with this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He says, always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. Give a kind and respectful answer and keep your conscience clear. This way you'll make people ashamed for saying bad things about your good conduct as a follower of Christ. It's pretty amazing that this sort of twofold approach that I've been sharing with you so far here today is what changed the whole Roman Empire. Remember, when Jesus was executed and then when he was resurrected, the Roman Empire was what was controlling the whole world. They are the, the biggest and they are the baddest. They were the most powerful you know, empire that had ever lived, never been around. And after Jesus' resurrection, his followers are going, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus is God. Jesus has the power over sin. And Jesus is the true king. They're like, no, Caesar's the king. They're like, no, Jesus is the true king. What did the Romans do to the Christians? They persecuted them. They mocked them. They jailed them. They executed some of them. But yet Christianity that started with just a handful of people within about a 300-year period had changed things so much that now the Roman Empire embraced Christianity as their official religion. How does that happen? Well, it was people like Peter and Paul, gifted evangelists and others, that were out proclaiming boldly the message of that Jesus is God and Jesus was killed. And he rose again from the dead. He lived the perfect and sinless life that we can never live. And then he died on the cross for the life we are living. And if you'll give your life to him, he'll change you. He'll transform you. He'll make you into a new person. Not just giving you eternity forever, but he'll give you a brand new life right here and right now. So they're boldly proclaiming that over and over and over again. But it wasn't them alone. Again, only 2% have the spiritual gift of evangelism. You know what it really was? It was evangelistic believers going out and living questionable lifestyles. And it started with just a handful. And then all of a sudden it was a couple dozen and then a couple hundred, a couple thousand. Then it was tens of thousands of people that were just infiltrating every bit of society. Not verbally necessarily sharing the love of Jesus, but with their lifestyle. With their lifestyle, they were sharing Jesus. And the average Roman person's going, there is something different about these people. Because what they started to notice was that these Christians, like, there are masters that are loving their slaves. And there are slaves that are loving their masters. And these Christians, they're treating women with respect. They're treating the widows and the orphans with care. They're helping the poor. They're taking care of the sick. Average Roman's gone, there is something different about these people. What is it that you guys have? I want that. And again, it only took about 300 years for just a handful of people to ultimately grow this movement that changed the world. 
because they had made the, the gospel so attractive. And this helps to explain then why Paul, he, he, you know, he was always writing letters to the various churches that he started, but sometimes he would write letters to individuals. One of the guys that he wrote a letter to was a guy by the name of Titus. Titus was a guy that would follow Paul along on his evangelism uh, types of trips, his missionary journeys, and Paul would get a new church started, and then Paul would be like, okay, I'm off to the next city. You know, there's more people to reach for Jesus. And so Titus was one of the ones that would actually stay behind, and he would help to get that new church up and running and, and going. And so Paul occasionally, again, he would write to Timothy, he would write to Titus, and give them instructions. And so Everything that I just explained to you so far today about that there's this difference between, you know, gifted evangelists and evangelistic believers, that helps to explain a little bit of what Paul writes to Titus. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. He says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Tell the older men to have self-control and be serious and sensible. Their faith, love, and patience must never fail. Tell the older women to behave as those who love the Lord should. They must not gossip about others or be slaves to wine. They must teach what is proper so that younger women will be loving wives and mothers. Each of the younger women must be sensible and kind, as well as a good homemaker who puts her husband first. Then no one can do what? No one will be able to what? Say insulting things about God's message. Tell the young men to have self-control in everything. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be what? So that it can't be, so it can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be what? They will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them, to not talk back and not steal from them. In this way, they can show that they can be fully trusted, which will make the teaching about God our Savior what? It'll make it attractive. Notice that Paul here is writing to this very, very diverse church. And he's writing to the pastor of the church saying, look, everything that you do is about making it attractive. He doesn't say do all these things because it's going to please God. Now, you should do these things because it's going to please God, but that isn't what he says. Over and over he says, so that we can't be criticized, so that people can't shame us, so that people can't like look down on us. And he says, we're doing all these things, we're living in this way so that it makes the gospel more attractive to unbelievers. Again, this makes so much sense based there in the first century because it would have been so different for the Romans to be seeing how the Christians were living. Again, slaves and, and, and masters loving one another and taking care of the poor and taking care of the, the widows and the orphans and, and treating women with respect. All these things, people are going, you guys are different. I kind of like it. What is it that you have that I don't have? Please share that with me. Now, that was sort of the, the recipe for living a questionable lifestyle in that time. The thing for us is, what's that look like here now? In 2021, what would it look like for a Christian here in America to live a questionable lifestyle? Because it's probably not the list there. Again, all those things were great, but that's probably not the list. 
And let's face it, you giving some money to the poor or bringing in some mashed potatoes for our mashed potato drive or serving at a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter, that's actually kind of expected. It's great. Continue to do those things. But does an unbeliever in our society, at your work, in your neighborhood, when they find out that you as a Christian are serving at a homeless shelter, are they going, whoa, that's surprising? No. Again, that's just sort of an expectation that everybody has of Christians. That's not questionable. You know what else isn't questionable? You as a middle-class American Christian driving into work every day, driving back home, mowing your lawn, washing your car, walking your dog, saying hi to the neighbor. That's not very surprising. Again, nothing wrong with it, but that's not surprising. It's not questionable. People don't go, whoa, I want that. So what would it what would it look like for us? Well, in the book, Michael Frost talks about making sure that you develop some habits in your life. You see, the, living a questionable lifestyle and, and surprising people, this isn't a one-time thing. This is a lifestyle that you now have. These are habits that you have. It's a rhythm of life that you've gotten into that people go, whoa. How you're living your lifestyle, the rhythms that you have day to day, it is so different than everybody else here in America. What is that about? And so in the book, he actually proposes something, and this is something we're going to actually look at throughout the rest of the series, is how do you live this questionable lifestyle? And and so he says, you can call it BELLS, B-E-L-L-S, and BELLS stands for this. You'll see it on the screen right now. Bell stands for bless, eat, listen, learn, and sent. Let's say that together. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and sent. What we'll do over these next couple weeks is we'll go through that list. Because if you start to live out this list, people are going to go, there's something different about you you will now be living a questionable lifestyle. Again, when you live a questionable lifestyle as an evangelistic believer, it's going to make my job and other gifted evangelist jobs so much easier because you've softened the heart. So today we're just going to cover the word bless. We, we call this you matter here at Exponential, that every day you should be like, Showing people, demonstrating to people that you matter to God and you matter to us as well. Now, that word bless is something that, you know, we use a lot, but not a lot of people understand it. Most of the time when we say it, it's a way of conferring like prosperity or happiness onto somebody. And it is those things. But it's interesting. The old English word, which bless comes from, means this. I put it on your outline. To bless someone means I've added strength to their arm. Isn't that interesting? The word bless literally means to add strength to somebody's arm. And so anytime that you are relieving somebody's burden or helping them to breathe a little easier or lifting their spirit or helping them to alleviate some distress, what you have done is you've blessed them. You have strengthened their arm. 
But let's face it, you know, a part of human sinful nature is we're very self-centered. And it's all about me. And I'm always on the go, on the go. And I'm always doing my own thing. And we don't often stop to actually bless somebody. And so when you do take some time out of your busy schedule and you do something to bless someone in a meaningful way that it's actually helped to strengthen them, to lift up their arm, to, to give strength to it, that's actually going to mean a whole lot to them. Because figuratively speaking, you have, you've taken what they were trying to push, what they were trying to do with their own arm, and you've come alongside and you've added strength to it. And you've made their life so much easier. You have blessed them. And when we start to bless people, and we make that our lifestyle, we make that our habit of every single day, I'm trying to bless somebody. Show them that you matter to God and you matter to me as well. It's going to get them to start to question, why are you doing that? That's the opportunity for either you or people like me to share that it's because of Jesus that we do it. All right, so what, what are some things that we could do to actually bless someone? Well, three things there on your outline here today. Number one is this. I can bless someone with a word of affirmation. Can bless someone with a word of affirmation. Mark Twain once said this. He said, you know what? I could live for two months off a good compliment. You ever gotten a good compliment before? Man, just the way it lifts you up, what's that doing? It's adding strength to you. It's added strength to your arm. You've been blessed by that compliment. So you could bless other people with compliments. But remember, this whole series is about how do we do that in a surprising way? And so, you know, you could send out an email, you could send out a text, but that's probably not so surprising. You know what would be really surprising in our day and time? Send a card. Nobody sends cards anymore. I'm going to get Hallmark to, like, sponsor today's message, right? <laughs> but no, send somebody a card. That's a surprise. When, when you get a card in the mail, whoa, this is cool. You know what else you could do? Handwrite a letter. When was the last time you got a handwritten letter in the mail? How long's it been? It's been a while, right? I mean, if you get one now, it's like a relic. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so imagine how surprised an unbeliever would be if you handwrote them a letter just saying, hey, you know what? I care about you. I care about your situation. I'm praying about your situation. That'd be surprising. I shared this with you before. You know, I have a, a lot of atheist friends. And often when I'm with them, I'll say, hey, is there something I can pray about for you? I know you don't believe in prayer because you don't even believe in God, but is there something I could pray about for you? And here's the surprising thing. I have never once had an atheist tell me no. Isn't that weird? They don't even believe in God. They don't even believe in prayer, but yet they never say no. You know what they say instead? They go, you're right, I don't believe in God, but it means a whole lot to me that you would take the time to think about me in that way. See, it's surprising because, again, most people are living very self-centered, selfish lifestyles. And so for somebody to actually stop and to pray for them, it means a whole lot. So I want you to think about that. Who, who is it right now that you could give a, a blessing of affirmation to them? 
And you know what? Maybe it is a text, but maybe it's a text of somebody you haven't talked to in, you know, years. And so it's out of the blue. So that's the surprising thing is that you've reconnected with them. See, anytime you get a word of affirmation like that, what it's basically saying to the person is, I see you, I care about you, I want to be with you, I want to help you, I want to give strength to your arm. Number two then, I can bless someone by buying them a gift. In much the same way of a word of affirmation, a gift helps somebody to know that you're known, you're cared for, I value you. Now let me ask you a question. Getting a gift for somebody on their birthday or Christmas, is that very surprising? No, it's not. When is it surprising? When you do it when? Just any time, out, out of the complete blue. Because you know what that communicates? It doesn't communicate, because Christmas and, 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 and their birthday can communicate that, well, this was an obligation. I had to do this. Because it's that time. But when you buy something for somebody and it's completely out of the blue, what it's really communicating is, hey, I was thinking about you. I wasn't thinking about myself. I was thinking about you, and I got something for you because I thought this would mean something to you. And so who can you surprise with a gift? It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't even have to cost you anything. But just a gift in some way that will let somebody know that you care. Because it's a symbol of, I saw this and I was thinking about you. Number three then, I can bless someone with an act of kindness. An act of kindness could be with complete you know, stranger, it's just a random thing that happens, you know, in the parking lot at a grocery store. Or it could be a very intentional thing that you do with somebody that you've known for many, many years. But how can you bless somebody with a, an act of kindness? How can you add some strength to their arm? Remember, this is about adding strength to their arm. It's about lightening their load. So make sure it's something that's actually going to lighten their load, that they actually need, not something you think that they need, or something that you're like, I wish somebody do this for me, so I'm going to do it for somebody else. So, for example, like, oh, I'm going to go and mow my neighbor's lawn. Well, you know what? Some people love to mow their lawn. They don't want you mowing their lawn. That wouldn't be a blessing to them. You know who it's a blessing to, though? Is your elderly neighbor that you've noticed has been struggling mowing their grass? And you go and you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take care of it for you from now on. That's a good blessing. That's a act of kindness that is something that they actually need. Or how about the young couple that you see that, you know, they, they have a kid and, you know, a brand new baby and you could tell they're just exhausted. What's the act of kindness you could do? You could say, hey, could I babysit for a couple hours? That way you can just get out and enjoy an evening together. That would be a blessing for them. You know, anytime somebody's moving and you actually offer to help them to move, that's a blessing. Literally, you're giving strength to their arm. It's not them in their own strength trying to do it anymore. Now you've lightened the load. So again, what, what can you do to bless someone with an act of kindness? Now, I want to give you sort of a, a challenge to do here of, of this whole blessing thing. But before we do that, I want to do a quick little sidetrack. Many of you know, we, over the past couple of weeks, we've been participating in a, a big survey for the church. 
we just celebrated our 11th birthday and we wanted to know, okay, what are some next steps we as the church leadership need to take in order to lead you better? And so we commissioned a company to, to do this uh, survey. And it's a survey that's been done with thousands and thousands of churches. And this upcoming week, I'll get the final results back, like the big report. But they gave me some of the preliminary things. And one of the preliminary things uh, sort of surprised me uh, a little bit. And I want to share that with you here right now. And so you notice on the screen, we were rated in four different categories. One of the categories was collectively, as exponential, our beliefs. And we scored in the 80th percentile, which was above average. In other words, you guys, what, what you believe about Christianity, about that you know, Jesus is God and, and Jesus is the only way to heaven, you know, the virgin birth, uh, all those types of beliefs that we have about Christianity, we scored very, very high in that. So that, that's really, really cool. The next category you see there is practices. In other words, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you tithing? We scored in the 68th percentile there. So we're in that average, you know, just slightly below the above average uh, category. So we did pretty good there. Next is virtues. This is the one we scored highest in, 86%, or 86 percentile, I should say as compared to all the churches that have ever done this survey. This is basically the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We're doing really good at that. But then we get to faith in action. You notice we're at 56th percentile. By far our lowest. Now, here's why this is a, here's why this is a problem at least for me, and why this sort of disturbed me a little bit. The number one reason you guys said that you attend Exponential, 62% of you said the number one reason that you attend Exponential is because you love the teaching on the weekend, whether it's myself or Nate or any of the other speakers that we have, 62%. The next closest thing was at 10%. And then there was a couple things that were like at 7%. So by far, the reason you guys say that you love to be here is because of what we're doing here on the stage. And as we look at those statistics, it would appear that, wow, you know what? There's a lot of things that we're doing well. We're teaching you about Christianity and the, the proper beliefs to have and getting you to, to exercise some of those practices like reading the Bible and praying and tithing and various things like that. And you yourself are growing in those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. However, it appears that a lot of that has just been intellectually. And I want to apologize as your pastor because I haven't done a good enough job, apparently, of making sure that you understand that it isn't just about showing up and learning some things and you changing. No, you've got to put your faith into action. And that's not just me saying it. Let me remind you what Jesus' brother James had to say about this. Look at James chapter 2, verse 20. He writes this, Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And then he says in James 1.22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only doing what? You're only fooling yourselves. And so we can have all the intellectual knowledge. We can have the beliefs and we can have the practices and we can have the virtues for ourselves. But if we're not putting it into practice, if we're not taking next steps each and every week, then, oh man, we're just fooling ourselves. And again, that, that's my fault. 
I mean, our, our mission statement here at Exponential is helping people to take life-changing next steps in their journey towards God. And so every single week we say to you, you need to think about how do you take this message and now have a next step? How do I put this into practice? How do I, I actually do what it is that I just heard? And so, again, I, I take the, the blame for that, that we're going to push this hard on you guys, right? Don't just show up and listen. You've got to go out and do it. So when we suggest the next step or the Spirit speaks to you a next step, you need to actually do it. And one of the reasons that we say every single week to you, Bill says it, I say it to you, every single week, every single person should be filling out a connection card. Because on there is a place for next steps. We're asking you each and every week, what is the next step? After you heard this message, after you experienced the music and everything, how did God speak to you? What is the next step he's saying that you need to take today, this week? And what that does is when you share your next steps with us, now we know how to pray for you specifically. And we know how to resource you. Because as you say, hey, here's the next step God wants me to take, I'm going to be like, oh, Actually, here's a great book you need to read. Or here's an article that may help you. Or, man, listen to this song. It's going to provide you some encouragement. So again, for whatever reason, we haven't done good at that of stressing that it's not about just showing up. It's not about just showing up online and watching. You've got to take next steps each and every week. So with that said, in light of what I just shared about blessing people, let me suggest to you a next step that you could take. Here it is. This week, what I want you to do is find three people to bless. Three people. And I'm even going to suggest categories for them. I want you to find a way to bless one person from here at Exponential. It could be a word of affirmation. It could be a, a good deed. It could be a gift. Whatever it is, one person for exponential. You're going to bless one person this week. You're also going to find one unbeliever to bless this week. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. It doesn't have to be expensive. It may not even cost you anything. But one believer, how can I bless one person that doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus? And then the third one is open to you. It's a wild card. Whoever you want. It could be a random encounter you have with somebody. It could be another person from Exponential. It could be another person from another church. It could be another unbeliever. It's completely up to you. Three people this week. Now, here's the deal. To live a surprising lifestyle, this isn't something you just decide to do for one week. This is a rhythm of your life. This is a habit of your life that you start doing every week. Bless somebody from Exponential, bless an unbeliever, and then just bless randomly somebody else. And the reason I want you to bless somebody from here at Exponential is this. As you do that and you're getting blessed and you're blessing others, guess what that'll do? It becomes contagious. And it becomes a reminder that, oh, I was just blessed. I'm supposed to be blessing some others as well. Don't just be a hearer of the word. We've got to be a doer of the word as well. Learn how to make blessing people a part of your lifestyle. Don't underestimate 
how much of an evangelistic impact that's going to have as you do that. And here's why I say that. A couple years ago, there was a study done over in Thailand of missionaries going in to, to try to like win people to Jesus. And they broke the people down into two different types of categories. You had what was called the converters. Those were the people. They were like, all right, I'm a missionary. I'm moving to Thailand. My mission is to lead people to Jesus. I'm going to convert them to Christianity. You had a second group of missionaries that went in going, you know what? We're going to go into Thailand and just try to bless the people as much as we can. So you had the converters and you had the blessers. And what they found after a couple-year period was that the blessers actually had 50 times more uh, conversions than what the converters actually did. Does that make sense? The converters went in with the whole thing of we're going to convert, but yet they didn't do nearly as well as the people that said we're just going to go in and bless. Because when you bless people, when you live a questionable lifestyle, people go, there's something different. What do you have that I don't? And both Paul and Peter said, in that moment, be ready to give the answer for the hope that's inside of you. Be ready. Again, maybe in that moment, you'll share your faith verbally. Maybe you won't. But at least what you've done is you've softened up the soil, the hard heart that they had. You've softened it up. And you've planted a seed there. And now somebody that's a gifted evangelist like myself can come in and along with you, continue to water it, continue to fertilize it. And ultimately, someone like myself will come along and actually bring in that harvest. You don't have to be a gifted evangelist, but you do have to be an evangelistic believer. So this week, go out and bless at least three people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and for the opportunity to kick off this brand new series and hopefully just put everybody's minds at ease a little bit that, all right, I don't have to be this super evangelist and I'm out like on a street corner or going to random people's houses and sharing my faith. And, or that's not what you called most people to do. But you have called all of us to be a part of the process. And so help us to do our part, to bless other people to live a questionable lifestyle and all these other things that we'll be looking at here in these future weeks that will be part of living a questionable lifestyle. Help us to, again, not just hear your word, but to actually do it, to put our faith into action. Lord, right now your spirit has been speaking and your spirit has been putting some names into our minds. Help us not to walk out the door and just forget about it, but help us to actually do something about it. Give us the boldness. Give us the courage. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and just, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to be here and I got to be. Help us to stop that and put our eyes on others and to love them in the same way that you loved us. Lord, help us as Exponential and those that are watching online at our other campuses and all around the country, Lord, to to make a difference in our local communities, that just a handful of people can change a city. Just a handful of people can change a nation, can change the world as we saw the example there in the first century as the Roman Empire switched over to Christianity. Why? Because 
literally thousands and thousands of people ultimately were just blessing, 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 and blessing. Lord, help us to do that, to play a part in bringing people into your kingdom. Lord, we want to know that every single man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet is going to spend eternity with you. But no one person can do that alone. It's going to take all of us playing our part. And so help us to do that. Thank you again, Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross and what you're continuing to do in our lives. And I pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen.